Welcome back to the No Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and a full-strength team with me today. Introducing to you, in order of importance... Me? <laughs> me? <laughs> I was waiting for you. To, which one of you is going to come in first? Oh, I'll go to the self-depreciation, man. <laughs> um, well, of course, we are all function as part of one dynamic team. So, as part of our three-way, <sighs> sliding into position... I don't do interviews with nobody unless I fornicate with them. <laughs> so you shouldn't talk anymore. So. Unless you want to, you know. Ah, that was good. Sexy Terry. Terry Chavandama. Ah, that only makes sense to a handful of people. But if you if you know what that Not means, me. it's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> well, hopefully you have recovered from that hilarity. And you can join us for the rest of the podcast where we're going to talk about all kinds of things. Fury and the debacle in which he's found himself in and the way he responded to it. But we'll come on to that later. Mike Town and uh, the unfortunate events that um, that have transpired in concerning that man. Um, but we'll, we're going to go first. We're going to review the Nathan Cleverly jurgen Bremer fight. And, uh, well, I didn't see it. So which one of you gentlemen wants to start me off? Go on, Terry. Um, I saw the fight. I I really enjoyed it. It was not what I expected it would be. I actually thought it would be a bore fest and then I'd just get irritated with it. Ending wasn't what we needed. But for the rounds that we had, man, we had quite quite an interesting fight because you saw two people trying to do stuff that, you know, wasn't quite working for either of them. So the fight was it was kind of a mess. But it was a mess because they were quite smart with each other. So if you go back to Bremer versus Macronelli, and the reason I picked Macronelli is if you look at Cleverly and Macronelli, they're all from the Enzo Calzaghi stem. So they all have that philosophy about them, which is high volume, you know, high intensity. Um, what made Cleverly different in this fight was they normally raid in and out. So if you watch a Calzaghi fight, he's, he very much raids, throws five or six punches, goes back out, forces you to commit again. And does that. So you had cleverly trying for the first time, I think, to be a combination punch on the inside. Um, it didn't look like it was perfected, but if that's how he's going to fight for the remainder, remainder of his career, he's going to have to punch harder than that because you can see, Bre- I thought Brain was in control for the whole fight. You know, I was listening to Carl Froch and Macklin commentate and I didn't, th- I thought they were reading it wrong. I thought Bremer fought when he wanted to fight. So he, he stayed in the pocket just to show cleverly he was stronger than he was and he hit harder and then he just take a step or two back and then box at his natural range which was easy for him it was it was a tragedy that you know an elbow injury stopped the fight you can never tell someone that they shouldn't quit because that might be a serious elbow they say it was dislocated to be honest i've i've had it where i've extended my jab and it's horrible so they'll rematch i expect bremer to win with a degree more comfort than he showed in the ring but it was good to see cleverly adapting you know, to the new reality at 175. Did you see the fight? Yeah, so uh, we'll start 
I saw the fight on my phone in the end because the undercard was so horrendous that instead of watching it, I decided to update my Cody package on my Fire Stick, which for anyone who's got Cody and tries to update it to a new package will know that it's it's going down Fun. The, it's going down the rabbit hole. So I thought <laughs> I'll give it a quick play. Ended up watching it on my phone. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, rewind back to Cleverly Bell You Two and. Cleverly uh, was under all sorts of criticism for his performance that night, which was atrocious. Um, he didn't swing, he didn't take any chances, and then from that, it's almost as if like going up to cruiserweight and then coming back down has recharged him in some way. So that from Farah fight that came, um, his last fight, he went out there and had a war with from Farah, and like as Terry was just saying, he doesn't carry the power to have a war with somebody necessarily, but it doesn't stop him doing it. Which makes for an enjoyable fight, ultimately. Um, and so he took the same approach that he took with Fanfara, which is just to stand in range and go for it. He doesn't have the pop in his shots to be able to hold off um, you know, anybody of any distinct quality. I'd suspect Bramer's on the decline. There's no way you're going to put him in there with somebody, you know, the, the, the Kovalev Ward winner, for instance. You wouldn't put him in with the loser of Kovalev Ward. Um, because he would get beaten up. But, <clears throat> you know, he's clearly got this new style about him now. He's accepted that that is going to be how he uh, how he fights. And, you know, it's enjoyable enough to watch. I think um, he's clearly not an elite-level light heavyweight. I think probably in a year's time, you're going to find that he's going to be getting fed to probably the likes of Jake Ball. Um, you know, young, upcoming heavyweight. I think Nathan Cleverly... Now he holds this WBA, you know, they, they will call it the world title. It's not the world title, but Sky can use that. Um, you know, if he can hold on to that and expect him to get some pretty weak defences over the next 12 months because they can build up one of their own light heavyweights, one of the more promising ones, that they can um, feed cleverly too. I think one of the problems you'll find is you've got a lot of sharks circling at 175. So you've got guys with under 15 bouts like Artur Baturbiev who are just who are looking for that kind of opportunity because he's looking for Kovalev and I don't think he has any fear of fighting Kovalev. So you can imagine him wanting to fight cleverly. It's an easy fight for him. I don't think that fight goes five rounds because unlike Bremer, when Baturbiev hits you, um, it's, it's fight changing. And I don't think Cleverly's high work rate will do much against him because Baturbiev is an accomplished amateur. He's, see, he's seen everything before. Yeah, no, I think that that belt will probably be held. I suspect uh, we're going to talk about Ricky Burns fighting soon. So Ricky Burns took the equivalent um, title down at Super Lightweight, Light Welterweight, uh, and now he's fighting Rylick this weekend. But expect cleverly to be taking those kind of defenses. I would suspect uh, nothing too challenging because they've got some good light heavyweights in that stable of fighters at Matchroom, and it would make sense. Cleverly hold that belt, try and, you know, make it semi-legitimate, at least in the eye of, like, the, the Sky viewer. Uh, and then feed him to somebody who is probably better than him. The likes, I say Jake Ball would be the prime when he was out Thursday night. We'll see how far he can go in time. But uh, Matchroom, we've got some relatively okay, you know, the likes of Callum Johnson as well. Um, so expect I would expect that title to stay within the Matchroom stable. Um, to build somebody else. I don't think it necessarily benefits Cleverly hugely to hold that title. Although we forget, he's only 29. So you wonder how much is left in him and whether the break has done his body good because physically 
he can't be on the decline just yet. It's just about whether the wars have taken his almost his boxing force out of him. And that's that's what we need to see. I think guys like Jake Ball, it's all a bit early for those guys. And and that's the problem. So we've got this guy cleverly who sits at I call sub world level. And then we've got these guys and George, Jake Ball is still a prospect. And I think we'll come on to him later when we talk about his fight last week. But mm, I don't, I, I imagine we're just having such bad luck with belts at the moment that I don't think that belt's going to last very long. So you've uh, successfully wrapped all that up very neatly. Thank you very much, chaps. We've had a review where they can go next, where you see them sitting. Um, I don't think there's much else to cover on that particular. Well, just to fight. congratulate Pricey and O'Hara Davis, more more rounds in the bank. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> well, so that was what I was going to go to. What what was the undercard like? Because obviously you didn't see it, did you? Uh, I watched a very very dodgy stream of it, uh, but I I had no. Ind- I watched the first two rounds of the Hara Davis fight, and it was a complete mismatch. Like Davis was just levels and levels above, and was playing with him. Fair enough, he got some rounds in. I don't mind that so much. I do mind the David Price fight because the David Price fight was. I mean, that wasn't even shown live. It was just. I mean, you look at the guy who was fighting. I can't remember his name now. Um, but it was. It was an awful fight. I mean, this is a guy who lost to Mark Demori on points. <laughs> the same Mark Demori who got smashed to pieces by David Hay, the bodybuilder oh, Mark Demori. He got beaten by Gary Cornish by knockout. The same Gary Cornish that, you know, got wiped out by Anthony Joshua. If you're David Price and you're building towards the Anthony Joshua fight and he's still got those two defeats or three defeats yeah they're PED use etc but they're fresh in everybody's memory everybody has these views of David Price that he's a bit chinny he's a bit vulnerable Um, fighting that geezer that he fought on Saturday night it doesn't do anything for it it doesn't it doesn't get away from those fears that he's a bit chinny he's a bit vulnerable and if anything it probably perpetuates him a little bit because of the fact that he's being put in with these guys that are just no use like there was no value in that fight whatsoever other than for David Price to go in there and knock this guy out like that opponent would not have been allowed into the UK to fight David Price I will guarantee you that so I would it's a weird one because you look at Price and you're a prospect coming up do you really want to fight David Price probably not the risk doesn't really justify the return you can make the same money fighting someone like a Dillian White for example I think he's also he's in the same position Joshua is where you want to be paid well for having to take that right hand to the face so he will struggle to have fights unless they mean something and I'd like to see Eddie Hearn start forcing some of the people he has influence over to go look you need to fight David Price I know they're talking about Dave Allen but I pray to God Dave Allen doesn't take the fight because you know, you 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 follow his activities on Twitter. The guy's just not ready to fight anyone at the moment. He's not. Ta- he's been offered it for October. He's not taking it. Okay, so that kind of wraps up that. Am I right in thinking that wraps up the uh, that evening of boxing? Um, quick congratulations to young Patrick Harris out of DC. Um, trains out the Headbangers Gym. Young featherweight making his way in the game so I managed to catch a bit of his fight on YouTube kid looked good um, always like to see new prospects coming up so that was good um, I think we're going to touch on female boxing later but I don't know if anyone saw the, the attendance for Cecile Brakus's show which was unique because I think 
it was under First Lady Promotions, which is her nickname. So I think she was co-promoting the event out of, oh, I can't remember, it's definitely out of Oslo. So, you know, I know we're going to touch on female boxing later on. It was just good to see that because it looked like a pretty full venue. It looked like a 10,000-seater and looked pretty full. Joseph Parker. Are we having a word about Joseph Parker before we move on from uh, reviews? What do you want to talk about? Uh, his performance uh, against Dimitrenko, which... He looked... I mean, Dimitrenko's a man who's renowned for his toughness. He was the one who was meant to be fighting Shannon Briggs on the Hay undercard uh, earlier this year. He's, uh, you know, he's a gatekeeper fighter. And Joseph Parker, he took him apart. But how good did Joseph Parker look in doing it? Uh, I think he showed vulnerabilities. He showed that um, he can be hit. We, We kind of know that about him anyway. It makes... You know, if they're building that, if you look at the trajectory of him and David Price, and you know, both are people that are in the the kind of options for Anthony Joshua's next defence, apparently, uh, in November, one of them is fighting Dimitrenko, who is a world gatekeeper, and one of them is fighting some overweight, like, slob out in Germany. So I think if you're building a fighter to get towards that Anthony Joshua level of taking a fight, then you're better to be doing it the way that Joseph Parker's being handled than you are the way David Price is being handled. Um, Joseph Parker, I think he gets smashed by Joshua. Um, I was watching that fight and the, the supposed experts, and you know, we'll give Darren Barker and Spence Oliver their due experienced boxers know their stuff. But at no point did they discuss the fact that he has zero footwork. You know, he was just marching forward in straight lines. He has that thing that Kel Brook has. I don't know if anyone else notices it. He has this ability to find the gap between the left side of the jaw and the inside of the shoulder. So if you don't keep yourself lined up properly, Parker will always land that straight right in that gap. And he's got the hand speed to do that. But the problem is, against Dimitrenko, someone who you imagine has been a giant his whole life, who's not particularly mobile, not very agile, and hasn't got the greatest footwork, you can get away with that. You're not getting away with that with Joshua because if you don't have quick feet to get in and out, you're going to get smashed to pieces. So I wasn't convinced by Parker's performance, but I will say this. Line up the people that Parker's fought and the people that Joshua's fought. I think Parker has a stronger CV up to this point. million percent. How much would, or in what way would it affect the heavyweight division if Parker were to beat Joshua? It would be catastrophic. Um, Because? You, well, Parker's not going to fill Wembley, Joshua is. So, if if you're David Price, if you're David Hay, if you're Tyson Fury, you want a strong Anthony Joshua. Because if you think you can beat him, you want to beat him for the biggest return. And, you know, if he gets beat by Parker, who, as I've said before, I think gets taken apart. I, I think he might even struggle against a guy like Shannon Briggs. So, do you really want that? He'd definitely lose to Amin Mansour. No, and I've got a lot of time for Kevin Barry, um, his trainer, who was the guy that... I think he... Did he win the silver medal because Evander Holyfield got disqualified in the Olympics? I think that was it, in 84. That's the guy that Evander Holyfield fought for the... I think it was the light heavy title. Um, but he's good because he's got the other guy, the, the Polish Nigerian, Izu Ugono, whatever his name is, who, who was also on the bill. So there's another six foot five heavyweight, but he's for absolutely no one. So when will they bring him on and what is he capable of? Cause he's not getting any younger. 
Before we restart the uh, the podcast, we just want to give an apology for the state of Andy today because he has been out on the lash last night and he is severely hungover. So we, we do not condone any form of alcohol we, abuse or any form of substance abuse, and we're definitely here for Andy. I just want to make that known. We're here to support him through, you know, what's an interesting point in his life. He's had some hard times of late. You know, there's there's women, there's always women problems. Like Tinder is running out for him. Um, yeah, no new matches, so he's gone to a full hundred mile radius. Yeah, so he's having to expand that literally by the day. So you know, it's it's bad for Andy at the moment. Changing his location now. I think he's doing Stockholm, if I'm correct. Yeah, no, that's true. It's true. So uh, you know, as listeners, you know, do keep an ear out for Andy and pray for uh, him. Pray please, for Andy and his. Please, please uh, do that. Pray for him. Yeah, if you've got any crushed goat horn or whatever it is, man, set fire to that, man. I'll help him too. Yeah. Yeah, Andy and his Tinder issues, and you know he's turned into alcohol. He is hungover. We're today. not saying Tinder's bad, but please Tinder responsibly. Tinder responsibly, drink responsibly. You know, let's get this message home to Andy. Don't combine the two. Okay, that's the uh, large hall shows, so to speak. The B exhibitions covered. Um, let's dip into the small hall shows uh, with some sort of roundup. What can you guys, between you, uh, put together? Right, Mickey Hellier show last night, Danny York Hall. Um, Tommy Tier was defending his southern area welterweight title against John O'Donnell. Now, John O'Donnell's an interesting one. He was, uh, many people won't really know of him that well, but going back a few years, a fair few years, he was on the undercard of Floyd Mayweather versus Oscar De La Hoya out in Vegas. And he was a highly, highly touted prospect back at that time. Um, he was taken over for that. He suffered his first loss. I've spoken to him various times about it. Suffered his first ever career loss in that fight. I think it was to a Mexican. Um, and he wasn't really prepared for it. Lots of stuff outside of the ring. He took a bit of a break from the sport. He's back now. He's had about three or four back. And he was... He's actually in line. Um, he was mandated to fight the winner of Tyler Goodjohn versus Johnny Garton. Um, to That will be a British title eliminator. Um but yeah, he uh, in the meantime was fighting Tommy Tier last night down at York Hall um, for the Southern Area Worldweight title and picked up a 98-94 points victory. Um, again, I mean, O'Donnell's a former Commonwealth champion, so he's stepping down a fair few levels. It's what John has left in the tank, really. He probably determines how far he can go now. Biggest thing with John, like he's a he's an awkward uh, southpaw. He's very very slick, very very hard to hit, but he doesn't hit particularly hard in return. Um, so quite how far he can go in this kind of second stage of his career now, uh, be interesting to see. I wouldn't fancy him against Garton in all honesty, although I say he can be tricky for anyone. I would suspect, uh, but I think Garton would probably hunt him down uh, over the course of a ten or a twelve rounder. Also, man, let, let, let's also add in, it's been a really interesting weekend as far as heavyweights have been concerned. So you've had Cash Alley winning against the same guy that made Nick Webb look really bad, Harry Miles. Miles. Yeah. Um, you had Con Sheehan trained by Peter Fury. So he's had another win. Um, you know, decorated Irish amateur. I remember him fighting Camarelli in 2011. I think it was the world's in 2011. So absolute class, skilled. You know, the Furies expect big things of him. Um, I think he's talented, a bit basic, but he's experienced. You know, I mean, his amateur background means he, he knows the ring and he knows what he's doing. Stylistically, it's not something that puts a smile on my face, but I can see him, you know, at least, you know, terrifying some of the guys who we're going to talk about, you know, in the next part of the show. 
Um, you know, Nathan Gorman, really interesting prospect being trained by Ricky Hatton. Um, you can tell he's got the Hatton hooks to the body mastered. So he won as well. That makes him the central area heavyweight title holder. He's a big old lump as well, isn't he, Gorman? He's, uh... Yeah, but he's really agile. You know, if, if he could get his conditioning nailed, you know, just trim some of the, the excess off, he'd be absolutely horrible. Um, I've said it before, would quite like to see him down the line against Dominic Akinladi for the English title. I think that would be a crossroads fight for both of them, pardon the cliche there, but you know, you've got the young guy trying to prove his point. You've got Dom showing I've still got it in my 30s. So that would be really, really good. So I think the heavyweight scene seems to have picked up. You know, now that people realise this is where the money could be at, it seems all the trainers are trying to invest heavily in heavyweights. Um, let me see what else we're going on. Generally speaking, probably, you know, it's just a big shout out to personal friends. So there's a bit of bias here. A guy called Simon Nasata. So he's the Norwegian super heavyweight champion probably the nordic champion as well really really good i've seen him come down to the Haringey box cup and cause havoc you know kid went out to cuba to perfect his craft probably the most skilled big man that i've seen and i think he's turning pro now don't know who he's going to sign with but whoever signs him and maybe someone should tap up steve goodwin but whoever signs this kid and gets him down to cruiserweight has a definite champion on their hands i haven't seen a guy that big move that well since Eddie Chambers. So is he turning pro over in the UK then, not over in Norway? So we don't know because he used to come down and box as part of White Hart Lane in North London. So he he's known in the UK. We've had him down sparring. Um, he's always up for being in the UK and sparring. I don't think that would be a big leap for him. But, you know, Norway's a small boxing market. and He's aware of that. So we'll see what happens. You know, maybe the Sowlands eventually down the line. But I think he needs somewhere to prove himself initially. Yeah. Okay, um, that's well. That, is that us wrapped up for the small hall stuff? I'm sure there was some uh, adventures in Mongolia that you can uh, keep us up to date with a bit later on, or some uh, amateurs, amateurs, the amateur scene in Ukraine this weekend. <laughs> You're normally down with the, all the most obscure places around the world. I gave you Patrick Harris out of, out of DC, the, the <laughs> Sphinx Club in DC. Who else is going to mention the Sphinx Club in DC? Yes, very you know, true. Trained by Patrice Harris. Shout out to big Patrice Harris. You know, Barry Hunter, the whole camp, headbangers, the lot of them. We can do this all night. Okay, so we're going to have to speak about it at some point tonight, which uh, or today, whatever time you're listening to this, which is, is not a fun subject. Um, but I think it's interesting the broader broader sort of um, uh, context in which it's it's sort of impacted the sport. Um, unfortunately, Mike Tao... Uh, a Scottish welterweight, died on the 29th of September um, after losing to um, Dale Evans uh, after he uh, got TKO'd in the fifth. And now, how long is it? Was it, he got? He died of bleeding on the brain, right? But how long was it? it was like how long was it afterwards? Like a few days or a week no, or something? No, it was, um... It was just over 24 hours, probably like 30 hours. And he'd been suffering with migraines that they put down to stress of the fight or something, and just, well, anyway. So the the wider impact that this has sort of come, certainly from what I've seen anyway, is suddenly people are coming out asking for boxing to be banned. Um, uh, Doctors and certain people, just, just, I suppose all those people that feel that way anyway use it as a sort of springboard to sort of... Um, megaphone those those views into play. 
what do you guys think about the whole scenario? All right, let's firstly um, touch on the tragedy that it is. So, you know, Mike Tell is a dad. Uh, Mike Tell leaves behind his partner. <laughs> There's a real touching statement from his partner that she put out about it. Um, the whole thing's horrible. So, yeah, the, uh, the the talk was that he was suffering from migraines in the week leading up to the fight, which was put down by his, his partner as being um, the stress of the fight. <clears throat> oh, so there's so, so that you could... There was bleeding before the fight? No, you don't know there was bleeding. There were oh. migraines. Um, okay. So whether this will lead to new health and safety uh, measures being put in place, so, you know, maybe a, another check or something pre-fight, I don't know. At the end of the day, you can't, you know, the British Boxing Board of Control can't tell if a man's had migraines in the week leading up to the fight. You can't do anything about that. It's just, it's a set of circumstances which have gone horribly wrong. Um, day 11's, shout out to Day 11's about it. You know, he's, he's a boxer. He doesn't go in there to put an end to a man's life. He goes in there to try and win a fight by, you know, whichever means necessary. Um, one of the things I wanted to touch on about it is, uh, Victor Lachlan being the referee now I mean there's been loads of people that have made the link between him being the referee for the Nick Blackwell Chris Eubank Jr. fight um, I think that's a really harsh thing again you know the the Blackwell corner could have thrown the towel in in that fight there was enough kind of um, enough warnings about it or whatever you know there were enough danger signs so you, know, you can't really hold Victor responsible for that I, it's probably not going to be the most popular view in the world. Uh, so, you know, shout me down there, whatever. I think he did a really poor job of that fight. Like, you see where the fight ends. Um, Day 11's knocks down, um, Mike Tao. Mike Tao gets back to his feet. He uses the ropes essentially to pull himself back up. And, uh, Victor Lachlan gives him the kind of walk towards me sign. Mike Tao does that. You can see... I mean, this was from STV, the Scottish uh, TV network. They were showing it live. You can see that Mike Tao should not... You know, there was no way he was going to come back into that fight. The referee's job is to be there and help protect the fighters. You know, he's there to make sure the fight runs smoothly and to protect the fighters' well-being. Mike Tao was not in a position whereby he should have allowed that fight to continue. Day 11s did what Day 11s had to do which is he stepped back across the ring, and all he had to throw was two more punches, and Mike Tao was down again. Um, Mike Tao couldn't defend himself at that point. Where's the, where's the the doctor at this point? Like, what, you know? Well, I don't um, expect you to give me a direct answer to that, but that's why I would have thought that that's... The doctor is ringside. The doctor's viewing it. Now, if the referee asked the doctor to come and take a look at him, that's one thing, but he didn't. You know, as with any other fight, you can't expect the referee after every 10 count to get the doctor to take a look at it. What you can do is after, you know, there's been a count and the fighter gets up, is expect the referee to protect that fighter. Fighters are fighters. They will get up and they will continue trying to fight. Um, They will continue getting back to their feet as many times as they possibly can. Whether that's in their best interests or not is hugely debatable. Um, So... I say it's probably not the most popular view in the world, and I appreciate that. But I personally don't think Victor Lachlan did a good enough job in protecting Mike Towle in that fight, because I don't think he should have been allowed to carry on for those two more punches that Day Eleven's landed on him. Um, I don't think he had the fighters. I don't think he protected Mike Towle enough. And, and not that I'm saying this would have been any different. I'm sure the damage was done by that point. I'm sure. You know, think the scenario probably wouldn't have changed, but I, I just I'm really uncomfortable with the way that that was allowed to be finished as a fight. 
Terry? I, c- I can't blame the referee for that. I My instincts tell me the damage was done before he stepped through the ropes. Um, boxing's a sport that's very hard on the brain. If you look at most studies into concussion or repeated brain trauma, what they've discovered actually is it's not the stuff that happens on the edge of the brain that affects you. It's it's the stretching of the brain fibers. And what they found is the biggest source of stress is actually at the base of the brain. And that's fundamentally where all your wiring is. So where all your wiring is, is what affects you. And this is why when you see boxers in later life, the basics are very hard for them because it's basically your, your fundamental wiring. You know, it's what makes us human. So there's that element of it. And boxing doesn't help that because the repeated trauma strains that. I think what happened here isn't a concussion-related injury. It is essentially a man who's had to boil down from anything from 165 pounds down to 147. You know, we don't know what his weight was in the week up to the fight. We don't know how hard the weight cut was. Um, if anyone's my friend on Facebook, you'll see the video I posted of Cyborg trying to make 140 pounds. You take your life in your own hands just trying to make weight never mind getting in the ring. So, more to the point of what Martin was saying, we don't have proper protocols in professional boxing around how you make the weight, and we don't have proper protocols, and we don't have supervision around how you rehydrate, because there should be a test at that point on the day of a fight. Are you in a position to fight now? And I think had you run even the most basic neurological tests on Mike Tao there would have probably been some red flags that I'm not aware of because I'm not an expert, but someone would have observed some red flags. We need to look at ourselves as a sport and go, how can we be more safe? Does that mean you should ban boxing? God, no. Had he been a rugby player and had there been a clash of heads and there'd been a bleed on the brain, by the time the ambulance got to the ground, it would have probably been about 40 minutes. He would have been dead on the pitch. I have a very good friend of mine who died on a rugby pitch from a heart attack. Rest in peace, Jason Lehman. Um, really good friend of mine, 5th of January, was it 2013? And there was no defibrillator pitch side. So he had a heart attack on the pitch. There was nothing you could do, short of, you know, rudimentary CPR, waiting God knows how long for an ambulance. In Had that been a boxing show, he would have probably survived because you could have just got the defibrillator out and restarted his heart immediately. So let's not ridicule this. Boxing is a safer sport because you can't have a show without two paramedics, at least one doctor and at least one ambulance present. An anesthetist. Exactly. So, so let's, let's be clear about that. This is a safer sport going. It just so happens to be the riskiest, not the most dangerous, the riskiest. And we will find in the analysis that Mike Tal's death was a tragic combination of a number of small factors that on their own aren't a big deal. So Victor Lachlan letting him carry on, not necessarily a big deal. Him struggling to lose weight, not necessarily a big deal. Migraines in the week, not necessarily a big deal. But in this case, they all combined at the wrong time and in the wrong way, and they gave us a fatality. Yeah, I mean, um, as I say, I'm not saying that Victor Lachlan is responsible for it. Please don't think that's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I don't think he, as an exhibition of refereeing, I don't think it was the greatest exhibition you're going to see. I think he didn't do enough to protect the fighter in those scenarios. Uh, getting back to, I mean, the weight um, loss thing. I mean, I, I, I chat regularly. There's a guy uh, who works for the British board up north uh, who I speak to. 
and one of his jobs is going around doing the uh, the weight checks in the run up to um, title fights. So where you've got to meet a certain weight, you know, day before weigh-ins. Um, so his job is to go and do check weights, you know, two weeks out, a week out, and then uh, you know a couple of days beforehand. So it's meant to be that you. And what's the purpose of this? That's what I'm coming on to. <laughs> uh, it's meant to be so that you gradually lose the weight. You don't crash diet uh, to make the weight at the last minute. So they can see that you're, you know, if you start off 160 pounds, you're aiming for 147. So the idea isn't that at two weeks out, you're still 160 pounds. You should be, say, 155. Right. And then a week to go, you should be 150. And that gives you a week to lose those last three. So, so. That people aren't starving themselves for two weeks. Yeah, no, exactly time. that. So it's meant to be gradually managed. So his job uh, and many members of the board go around to gyms uh, up and down the country and they work with the fighters to take their check weights uh, in the build-up to these fights. So that's how it's meant to be managed. I mean, this was a... British title eliminator um, so I don't know to what extent that kind of weight measurement will be done by the board in the build up to fight you can't do it I mean it's not feasible to do it for every single fight you think every small hall fight or say on average a small hall show up and down the country has say 8-10 fights on the card uh, say there are I don't know two, three running every weekend on top of then the bigger matchroom Frank Warren shows. There aren't, you know, without raising the money somehow. I don't really know how you would do that. There isn't enough money to go around to fund the board members to go to every single fighter's gym to go and take all these weights for every single fight. So you know, to an extent, the fighter has to take responsibility for that. Uh, say the the migraine stuff, the dehydration. It, it doesn't all look great, but I mean. There's, it, as Terry says, really, I suppose it's all just a combination of circumstances which probably have led to it, which you can't lay the blame at any single one of them. I'd say same-day weigh-ins. I've said this for years. Same-day weigh-ins, if a fighter doesn't make it, you take his purse. Simple as that, you take his purse. Why? Because look at the amateur scene. You don't get these sorts of injuries or these sorts of crises in amateur boxing very often. Why? Because... You have to weigh in on the day, which means you have to lose enough weight that you can make a weight, but you have to be in some reasonable shape that it requires minimal rehydration and refeeding to then be ready to fight in two or three hours. And, and you can't go in 30 pounds overweight like perhaps some boxers yeah, do. But, but let's not forget, it's only recently, if you look at boxing history, it's only recently we've had weigh-ins the day before and that wasn't down to anything other than promoters saying we want to make sure that the fight happens now that's not what i care about i care about what's good for the boxer and what's good for the boxer is box at a weight you can make safely and comfortably and same day weigh-ins would fundamentally change the boxing landscape and i think it would be better for the fans because fighters would be fresher stronger and better equipped to cope with the rigors of a title fight uh, could there an argument be made that, I mean, look, when you're looking at the extreme end of boxing, there's lots of money and, you know, there's all these people at the side of the ring, etc. Um, first question, is that always mimicked right the way down the pyramid of the sport? Yes. In what uh, way? Well, what? is there always, I'm just wondering, do you have some small hall shows where perhaps the support on hand for certain things isn't as quick or available as something medical standards are no you, you you can't the, the, no one will ever cut corners with that because you go straight to jail it was after the whole um michael watson scenario that a lot of this got tightened up 
so every small hall show will have, as Terry said earlier, the paramedics, the anaesthetists, the doctors on hand. Uh, they're all at every small hall show. Now that is a huge, huge cost. Um, you know, like those, those people don't turn up for free. Those people are getting paid. Um, and you know, that, that is a cost that every promoter has to take on. It's not an optional one. It's not like you can say, I'll have one doctor or, you know, I'll have the anaesthetist down the road and we'll pay them half the amount. They have to be in the building. Um, yeah, if you go back to the Nick Blackwell, Chris Eubank fight, that was why Huey Fury got held up. Um, you know, he was meant to be fighting after that. His fight got held up so badly because the anaesthetist had to go off in the ambulance with um, Nick Blackwell. And so that shows to what level, you know, they have to stick to these rules to protect themselves, the promoters, as much as anyone else. Because if something like this does happen and it was found that they didn't have the requisite um, people on, on hand, then they would, you know, be liable for millions and millions to be sued for. So I think just to go back to the point about this, we don't know what the cause was for Mike Tao. Maybe it will come out, maybe it won't. Maybe it is just a tragic set of circumstances as a sport, you know, I think it's phenomenal that if you saw Ricky Hatton started up a Just Giving page yesterday with the intention, when I say yesterday, I mean Saturday, with the intention of raising £20,000 for Mike Tower's family, of which he threw in £5,000 of his own money to start it off. As of today at lunchtime, Sunday, when I'd look, it was at £21,500, I think, which all that money will be handed over to Mike Tower's family. You know, he's not going to see him through for life. Um, but as a community, as a boxing community, I think that's phenomenal. You know, people that will put their own £10, their own £5, or own like £20. And that's still going. That Just Giving page is still going. You can check it out on Ricky Hatton's Twitter. Um, but, you know, how the, the sport rallies around. And I hope the sport rallies around for Day 11s as well and gives him the support that he needs. Um, you know, he had Nick Blackwell up there in his corner for that fight on Saturday night. Like, think how on earth he'd have felt watching that. Um, yeah, it's just the, the whole thing is a tragic set of circumstances. And, you know, I hope that you don't want to see the sport end. But if, if the outcome of this ultimately ends up with a couple of new procedures brought in, uh, maybe a couple of rule changes or whatever. Not that I'm saying that it's a good thing that, that it's happened. Um, but you know, maybe something can be changed in the light of what's happened with the whole Mike Tao scenario. Those that look to ban boxing, like I say, use it as some sort of springboard to get their agenda across, they will argue that, um, and have argued in the press that boxing is a barbaric sport where the aim is to render your opponent um, unconscious or at the very least senseless. Um, what do you, what do you say? What do either of you say? What would, what would you say, Terry, in order to defend boxing against that? Barbaric. In what sense is it barbaric? I think barbaric is to behave in a way that has scant regard for the interests, the rights, and even just the dignity of others. I think that's barbaric. Boxing's an honourable sport because. You know, let's just go back a few days. You had Dillian White and Dave Allen sparring, having food together, being friends, having knocked lumps out of each other before. That's not barbaric. You know, that's that's the essence of humanity. You know, for, from an extreme situation, a strong bond was formed. So I don't think it's barbaric. In terms of repeated head traumas, you know, we wouldn't ban rugby. We wouldn't ban American football. Look how many rugby players are struggling with concussion. you got guys retiring. 
in their 20s because they've had repeated concussions. You know, you've got guys taking, you know, five to 10 solid headshots in a game of rugby. You know, that's repeated head trauma. And what that does is, you know, as I said earlier, it stretches, you know, the, the just the core fibers of the brain. And what it, it also degenerates that area around the brain. So what you find with people who have suffered repeated head trauma, um, the main study has been done with American football players. You know, they have massive gaps in their brain from where tissues just atrophied due to severe trauma. And what they're trying to do in American football actually is work out how can we reduce this? Because the helmets they have are only designed to prevent skull fractures, and skull fractures are the least of your worries when it comes to head injuries. On a side note, my brother's involved in the research for this. We'll pick oh. it up one day. <laughs> <laughs> so, so all of this stuff is important because you need to move away from the discussion that says it's barbaric and towards saying, how do you make the sport that's already safe even safer and how do you put the fighters' interests ahead of the commercial interests of the promoters? That's the question we need to resolve. And I think same-day weigh-ins resolve a lot of those issues. Because if you're a fighter that can't make weight on the day of a fight, you won't fight very often. Okay, I think that pretty much sums it up. But some certainly sums the feelings up and pays um, fitting enough tribute to Mike Taylor, like we say. Uh, pretty horrible stuff. But let's move on to other certainly less dignified things um fury mm. fury tyson montana it's getting harder and harder to sit in his corner and defend it isn't it i mean it's that's what it comes down to so has he taken cocaine it depends you know espn have run this story saying that he failed a vada drugs test for taking cocaine um which ties in with i think the date of that is the day before he was deemed medically unfit to fight um what can we say that's going to add anything to this other than i think the biggest problem that the fury team have got is their silence at the moment i think the bigger you leave that silence the bigger the chasm becomes whereby people can fill it with whatever they want so i saw something the other day a tweet that was from of all places it was a man united blogging site um and somebody on there had <coughs> had said uh, oh what's this surprise about tyson fury uh taking cocaine i think his wording was and it's not me saying this by the way it's uh, somebody else um we broke this story back in june when he was out in nice and apparently one of the uh the local drug dealers out in nice referred to tyson who uh fury as the hoover because he got through about 50 grand's worth, allegedly, uh, out in Nice. So, you know, the the longer the silence goes on, the more these stories will start to come out and perpetuate. And then when Tyson Fury releases a tweet yesterday, the only thing that is being mentioned by the whole of the Fury team about it is a photoshopped picture of him behind a whole pile of cocaine. It doesn't do any great favors for him. So, you know, let's, we can separate the ring attributes from the personal attributes. The personal attributes are becoming very, very hard to defend, I think. Uh, especially when you've got lots of people that will, you know, they've lost a bit of money. Don't get me wrong. Most people will get back their ticket money. They'll get back. They won't have paid for a hotel. If you've done it through booking.com or whatever, you can normally. Shouts out to booking.com available for sponsorships. Of <laughs> <laughs> Everyone should book through them. Like you don't have to pay till the week before or whatever, which is always wise for boxing. Um, so yeah, the most fans won't lose incredibly large amounts of money out of it or whatever. So the more you see that, like you kind of take it with a pinch of salt, but. 
there are fans that just want to see him fight and in the meantime all we're getting are these stories and we're not getting any official clarification from the Fury team who were meant to release a statement last Tuesday that never came out the water's getting a little bit muddier by the the day the week um, it, it's not a great reflection um, so Vada have a checkered history with this so if you remember Vada are the guys who pinged Lucas Brown and they also pinged Povetkin now I don't know if they also pinged Erkin Tipa, but all three of those guys will be boxing relatively soon. So if you're Tyson Fury, you're not so worried about getting done by Vada, set up by Victor Conti, who, you know, himself is no stranger <laughs> to, to drug-related shame. Um, so I think there's more to the story, but the sad thing about this is how quick Tyson Fury has been to hit the self-destruct button. And I start to ask the question, Who's having a word with this guy? Um, I was talking to Martin, you know, off air about this and I said, if there's one thing I'd implore all promoters to do is to create a mentoring scheme where these young fighters on their way up get to talk to the Harold Grahams, get to talk to the Frank Brunos, because you need to understand that you go from being a kid riding their bike to a gym to all of a sudden being the guy that's talked about across the world. No one else can relate to that other than boxers and maybe some sports stars. But you need that that older, wiser head who's going to say to you, look, at some point it's all going to come on top. And at that time, what you need to do is shut everything down, stick to your family, listen to your family, go back to what got you to where you are now. I have a feeling Fury just does what he wants and people conscious of their need for him in order to make a living I just allowing this to happen. I recognise that Tyson's his own man, etc. But uh, <clears throat> how much of the responsibility for this complete meltdown is uh, lies at the feet of his like training team, which also primarily is like family as well? Well, no one's gi- who's giving this guy a slap. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like Peter Fury, for example, he seems like a he's got he's a well-renowned boxing trainer. Why isn't why isn't he taking a grip of of Tyson? Remember, these guys rely on Tyson to make a living. Like he he validates a lot of the things the Furies are doing. You know, he validates their training methods. He validates all of these things. So it's very hard. Let's go back to you know, nineteen eighty one, Muhammad Ali versus Trevor Burbick. Who the hell told Muhammad Ali he was in any shape to fight Trevor Burbick? Go back to the fight with Larry Holmes, I think might have been 1980. Who told Muhammad Ali he was in any shape to fight Larry Holmes at that time? Probably the best heavyweight there was. People who wanted their 5 or 10% of a very large pot. So there's this thing about human nature that says, look, we can't, we can't kill the cash cow because we still have bills to pay. It's all right for him. But now this means that Fury's now struggling to make himself financially secure because if he does get banned, and God hope, you know, let's hope he doesn't get banned. But if he does, it's a long road back. Does he get stripped of his titles? Yes. That, that, that Too many people want that to happen right now. So, because there's so much money that can be made with those belts. So why have them with a guy who seems hell-bent on destroying himself and with it bringing the sport into disrepute. But is there, um, like, previous with this, is there um, a, a track record of, of drug-related um, sort of guilt with with world title holders? Um, so if let's take Lucas Brown as an example. 
they they with the initial aim, the initial aim was right. We'll strip him of the title. Then it was we can't strip him of the title till we've been through all the due process. So there'll be a whole range of things that they'll have to go through with Tyson Fury before they can strip him. And it's about getting to the end of that process and going, okay, we've we've issued our judgment. He's appealed. He's counted the appeal, maybe on procedural grounds, and that will all have to go on before they can strip him because the WBA or the WBO don't want to be sued. But I think what will probably more likely happen is that they'll start those procedures and then it will get to the 12 months since he won the titles anyway, which is back end of November. So we're only looking at, what, eight weeks away. Uh, any drawn-out legal proceedings will be more than eight weeks. So what does that mean? So when it gets to the year... Um, he hasn't defended those titles. They would be well within their rights to take those titles off of him. Uh, so you don't even need to relate it to the the drug whatever. It's just purely they can make it. You haven't defended them enough. Let's go back to last week where we said, just make him champ in recess. Let the belts carry on without him. When he declares an intent to box again, he then becomes the mandatory. No one suffers for that. The governing bodies will love that because that will be a big deal financially. Um, Tyson Fury gets time to sort himself out, come back and know that his standing hasn't been diminished. And in the meantime, the Joshuas, the Klitschkos, the Hayes, the Browns, the Akendos, the Ortizes can all jump in and, you know, fight for these belts. So what's also come out after this is a rumour that Anthony Joshua's going to fight Klitschko in November. Uh, is that a load of rubbish or is there any meat on the bones uh, what for November <clears throat> uh, it's bollocks it's total bollocks it's Hedy Hearn it, look at it November you're talking what there's under 8 weeks now so you think how big Eddie Hearn would want to make this fight so you're talking about Cardiff as being a potential venue. Well, the date that they've got Joshua penciled in for present is the same day Wales are playing at home in the rugby that day. So it won't be at the Millennium Stadium, despite Eddie Hearn saying in an IFL interview that he was going to see if he could have a word with them. Like, yeah, good luck moving the Welsh rugby team out of the Millennium Stadium that day. <laughs> you fucking idiot. Um, so what, you've then got Wembley. I mean, there are... I always think, like, football stadium-wise... They're talking about Cardiff because it's got the roof. But, I mean, you've used Wembley. West Ham's been used in the recent past. Uh, the old Upton Park. There's no guarantee it doesn't rain in the summer. So when they're planning these things, they plan them with big enough canopies over the top that logistically, if it rains, the ring stays dry. As a fan, you're always taking a punt when you buy that ticket, just as you would be to a football match. Well, it was raining at Wembley when we went to watch Frotch Grays, I believe. Yeah, well, there you go. It's... Um, you know, the, if that's the case, then every fan takes a punt. You know, if you're ringside, yeah, you might well get rained upon. Um, so all of Hearn's talk about it's Cardiff or nothing else, just to me, sounds like a ready-made excuse that he can roll out. There is no way, what we got now, seven weeks until Joshua's penciled in. Either you'd have to move the Joshua fight to another weekend, or it just doesn't happen with Klitschko. Um, because think about how big he'd want to make it, the press elements to it. There's only a seven-week training camp available as of now. Now, granted, Joshua will start his already. Klitschko's already been in camp for Fury. But, you know, they would have it agreed behind the scenes. I'm sure they get those eight weeks they require. But the press element of it, to build that, to build it around the world, because uh, it's going to be, you know, if, the, if that fight got made for back end of November, 
you're thinking that is a big fight in America, it's a big fight in Germany, it's a big fight in England. You've got to take those two lads and go and take them all around the world to sell that fight. How the fuck are you meant to believe that's going to happen by the end of November when we're now into October? For me, there is literally no way that fight happens this year, certainly not back end of November. So let's look at November. We've got Pacquiao Vargas. We've got Ward against Kovalev. We've also got Walters against Lomachenko. You can't then put Joshua and Klitschko into that same month because in America they're saying there's not enough money for fans to buy all of these. We we can't make money here. So Eddie's talking about the 10th of December, but then you're into Christmas and people don't have money generally for you know luxuries like pay-per-view. Um, add into that how complex negotiations with the Klitschko's are because the Klitschko's have control over ring size, what the ring's made of. In fact, Klitschko might even say, I don't even want to fight in the UK anymore. I'm definitely not fighting in Manchester after what happened with Tyson Fury. So does the fight then happen in Germany? People don't realise how powerful K2 have become as as a boxing entity because they generate more money in Germany than Eddie Hearn does in the UK. They're a bigger entity, you know. They they've got in they've got Golovkin, who's their cash cow at the moment. So they don't need it. Vladimir Klitschko doesn't need this money. This is for glory. This is for legacy. This is for him to come back and say, "I'm still the best heavyweight in the world." The Fury fight was an aberration. So with that in mind, because he doesn't need the money, he can he can play hardball over absolutely everything, knowing that Joshua doesn't have a dance partner as good as him. Uh, a question from Matty533 um, on Twitter. He asks, what will happen to the ring belt if Tyson is stripped from the other titles? I think the ring belt, you have to beat the belt holder. Like I don't think you can strip someone of the ring belt because it's not really a governing body. It's it's a magazine owned by Golden Boy that have just bestowed on people. You know, So Klitschko had it deservedly. Fury won it. I have a feeling... It will stay with Fury until someone beats Fury. Okay. Um, right, we're going to move on to uh, listeners' questions now. Uh, Terry, do you want to give us a little jingle? Or a... No. No, okay, fine. Fair enough. Well, uh... <laughs> Love the listeners, but not that much. <laughs> um, I don't get that shit for free. Right. <laughs> I suppose to some extent we touched on this earlier, but we'll just get, you know breeze over it because it's been sent in specifically. Uh, cleverly, Nathan Cleverly, presumably. What next, and where does he rank in terms of Brits of his generation? Uh, it's from David McGinley, by the way. Um, cheers, David. Where does he rank in terms of Brits of his generation? Fairly low, uh, you know, in terms of fighters. If you're talking generation of the last ten years, I wouldn't necessarily have Cleverly in the top twenty of Brits. Uh, would be my view. Um what next for him I think we discussed it earlier really my my guess would be that they um, try and take a couple of softer defences maybe the Bremer rematch uh, might I mean they're talking about it last night the Sauerlands so that might have to be the first step uh, if he gets through it no guarantee he would but if he does then I suspect they would try and match him fairly softly uh, and I say try and keep that belt at Matchroom Towers would be my guess um, one for you Terry what can I answer that question? If you can answer that question, if you want. Yeah. Bloody hell, man. Like, I thought, you know. <laughs> well, I don't know if I wanted to keep talking about Nathan Cleverly, but you can... You can well, um, well, I'd like to see him fight. Is it Joe Smith, the guy that knocked out from Farah? Um, 
that guy deserves a shot at something special because you know he he dispatched from far with relative ease. So let's let's see if that happens after the Bremer rematch. But as I said before, I think Bremer wins the rematch with comfort. You know, once he works out his distance with cleverly, gets on his bike a bit, he might even knock him out. Um, Can anyone rule out? By the way, I just want to quickly throw this out there. You saying about Smith? How many times has Eddie Hearn talked about Paul Smith Jr. getting one more world title shot before he retires? Light heavyweight is a division that Paul Smith has uh, danced around at. I wouldn't personally rule that out as being Paul Smith Jr. taking on Nathan Cleverly at some point for that bullshit title. Or or even Callum Smith. They might just go, right, this is your time. Move up. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, sorry, yeah, yeah that's just a, a um, side point. Where does he rank in his in, in, in his peer group? Um he's there. So let's go back to two thousand five and let's look at who 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 was around at that time. Khan had just turned pro, right? Khan might be slightly ahead, but Khan is no world beater, is he? Um, who else has just been coming up? Darren Barker. I think he had just turned over because I think he did the 2004 Commonwealth Games. So Barker won a title, lost it pretty much straight after. So you can put him in the same bracket as Cleverly. Um, go across the pond, Lamont Peterson, st- turned pro in the same generation. He hasn't done anything that Cleverly hasn't. Um, Jean Pascal. There's another guy. So I think he did the Commonwealth in 2004 as well, turned over in 2005. He hasn't done anything spectacular either. So, so Nathan Cleverly, it's almost like that was just a dead period for boxing. So Cleverly is in that pack. And, you know, quite rightly, I, I agree with David McGinley. Like when you mention top 20s of people of that generation, Cleverly's up there based on what he's achieved. And you have to give Frank Warren credit because he managed to legitimize a guy who, really has nothing other than a work rate and fitness. But would you say he's one of the top 20 British fighters of the last 10 years? Whoa, 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 whoa. But I don't think that was the question. I think it was of his generation. So let's just say you took one year of school. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not, but yeah. generation is... I'd say, for me, I would interpret it to be the last 10 years. No, if you're talking no, of those yeah. pros who turned over in the same year cleverly did, yeah. then... Which is, which is what my test would be. If you're within a year of him, because... There's always those different intakes. So I, I look at the class of 2008, the Furies, the Groves, you know, um, who else was there, man? I've done this before and I've forgotten all of these. I think it was Stephen Smith or Liam Smith. You know, you can see that 2008, are those guys all good? Damn right they are. Their CVs speak for themselves. But I wouldn't put them in the same generation as Cleverly for obvious reasons that, you know, they were still amateurs when Cleverly turned over. Um, I make generation more a more sweeping age uh, bracket. With the, well, within 30 <laughs> years of each other. <laughs> then, no, then he wouldn't stand up. But that was actually, it was weird. So in the pros, it seems to have been a really crappy year for people turning over, but really good year in the amateurs. So just, just a bit of boring trivia. There was a thing called the Boxing World Cup in 2005. And I only know this because the Cuban team they put out, which had Rigondo, Gamboa, Ugas, the guy who just had a knockout victory on PBC, Erislandi Lara. Um, what's the Cuban cruiserweight called? Dorcas, wherever he's going. He's in there as well. Luis Ortiz is in there. Orlandia Solis. Basically, the, the, is there a stronger amateur team you could put together than that? And who else was in that tournament? None other than Gennady Golovkin for Kazakhstan. So, yeah, it goes to show that sometimes you get really good generations, sometimes you get really shit generations. Because 
all the guys from that that World Cup squad defected, if you remember. They all defected around the same time and turned pro. So you then measure their generation and go, shit, this is a really good generation. So no, but in terms of Cleverly, history will be a lot kinder to him than we are at the moment. But he just has no power. Let's not forget he turned pro at 154 pounds and this guy fought at cruiserweight. So, um, you know, he maybe he was the guy chasing greatness before anyone else. Okay, Darren Parsons comes in at MilkyBarKid underscore 85 and he asks, will Bremer take the rematch clause? Personally, I think he might sack it off. Where else does he go, I suppose? That's his title as far as he's going to be concerned. You know, he hasn't lost it as such. He'd lost it under the circumstance of his elbow going. Um, he was fairly comfortable. I think he was winning on the uh, the scorecards. I know it's always an irrelevance when a fight gets stopped, but I'm fairly sure the scorecards were up for him. Um, where else does he go? I mean, he's <laughs> out in Germany. You're looking at the likes of Abraham or Sturm, who is probably only other options. Uh, drag one of those up to light heavyweight. But, you know, the money without the title doesn't generate itself. So you're either going to stay, you know, in your internal market of grabbing the likes of Sturm, Abraham, um, or you go back for the Cleverly fight and, and try and get your, your belt back so that you can go back and make money elsewhere, be my view. Uh, one for you, Terry. Uh, f- thank you very much for that, Dan, by the way. Um, Sam Khan, at Blessed With Work, asks, if the rumours are true of signing her... What could Eddie's plan be regarding Nicola Adams? I suppose you both want to chip in on this. But. So, so I'll be a while on this one. Why Nicola Adams has most of her esteem from the fact that she's representing this country. Um, you could take boxing out of it because Nick, we'd feel the same about Nicola Adams if she did the high jump, if she did the long jump, if she did gymnastics. We love her because. She represented her country, won a gold medal with relative ease, and then did it all again. That's why we love Nicola Adams. Do we really want to see Nicola Adams in a ring? Maybe for the first two fights, yes, because there'll be a certain of, you know, let's go and show respect to our national heroine. Fair enough. But what happens 10, 15 fights in when all you're getting is decision after decision? There are no knockouts. No one hits the canvas. It's all very pretty. But as soon as they come off and you get a good John Garton sort of scenario where it's all blood and guts, you then get this massive schism in expectations between fans. So why would you get Nicola Adams to do that? doesn't make any sense. You'd ha- almost have to sign her. You'd have to sign Lisa Whiteside to then create a meaningful rivalry because they were rivals in the amateurs. Then you've got to dig up all the opponents Nicola Adams has had and go, who's turned pro? Because the- they have to be meaningful fights or people aren't going to shell out the money. So... Let's look at places where female boxing seems to be successful. So in Mexico, it is. But stylistically, Mexican female fighters fight like the men. So, you know, them having a war is not unusual and you probably see more knockouts. You come across to Europe and I mentioned earlier, Cecile Breakers had a fight on Saturday against Anna-Sophie Malin. Um, it ended with a knockout, but that disguises the fact that actually the knockout was due to the fact that Anna-Sophie ignored the first rule of boxing which is protect yourself at all times and she got hit with a two-piece and that was it that was her just hanging off the ropes out um cecile breakers 29 fights zero defeats 21 decisions you know so that tells you that this isn't a, this isn't a sport for knockouts and the knockouts that did happen were against women who were vastly overmatched 
the problem you have with female boxing essentially is the depth of quality beyond the top is abject and it's not fair on them and it's not fair on the champions so if I was Eddie I don't know how you make it work you know you have more chance of making it work in Ireland where you have someone like a Katie Taylor who does fight I think to cut it down a lot I mean if you're Eddie Hearn and what is your main driver in boxing it's to make money buying Nicola Adams to a very short term contract of two or three fights will probably work so if you put her on the undercard of um, you know a big world title fight at the O2 um, she'll bring in money she'll bring in interest she'll bring in lots of additional supporters she'll do it for one or two fights but after that the money you know the interest is going to go somewhere once a novelty fact has disappeared unless she can do something amazing jump in at world level win a world title within her first one or two fights uh, I think that's the only way you would be able to keep that uh, interest and momentum going with it. But I just I hope that if she decides to go pro, I hope it isn't with Hearn because I can just see him milking her for the money immediately and then just dropping her pretty soon after. Okay, let's move on. I don't know which one of you wants to come on this one, but David McGinley writes in again, um, and he asks. Um, in, re- in regard to Billy Joe Saunders, what chance does the pod feel that he has versus Triple G slash Canelo? Bar them, he is the top middleweight. Uh, I think he did say bar them, is he the top middleweight oh, rather than as yeah, a statement. Yeah, yeah. It's the same as querying um, how far can I run on the moon? Like I'm never going to reach the moon, so it doesn't matter. So the current career trajectory of Billy Joe Saunders, he's been announced to fight Arta Akavov, or whatever his name was, oh, which yeah, no, I called this at the beginning of September when um, you know you look through the WBO rankings and who's the shittest name in there they can possibly dig up that isn't Max Bursack who they previously used and then withdrew from. Uh, again, he's one who's getting to the point where his twelve months is up with that title and he hasn't made a defence, so they need to get him out. He's going on the card if he's going on the undercard of a British title fight to defend his world title. It's that situation they've got to now with Saunders. Um, who gives a fuck about him? If I'm perfectly honest, right now, who gives a fuck about him? He's fucked about so much with that title over the last 12 months. He's supremely talented. He's possibly one of the best middleweights out there. He possibly could give Canelo and Triple G a run for their money. Difference is, Canelo and Triple G are taking fights regularly enough that you're seeing it. With Billy Joe Saunders, we haven't seen him since he beat Andy Lee. <clears throat> and I just... The fight with Akafov, Frank Warren described it as he's going to be sharpening his tools. It's a fucking world title fight. Fuck's sake, like, get the man out there in meaningful fights. Don't let him sit on the bench for 11 months and then take on some dickhead no one's heard of. Uh, That's harsh on Akafov, I appreciate, but this is a world title fight. We all agree Billy Joe Saunders could be one of the elite fighters out there. We're just not seeing it. It's so frustrating to hold that belt ransom. Um, I think Canelo knocks him out in under six rounds. I think Canelo will stop him in the later rounds. There's a lot to like about Billy Joe from a technical perspective, but he's not a guy who has that touch of the devil about him, whereas Canelo does. Um, you know, just going back to what we said about Cleverly, who turned pro in 2005? Canelo turned pro in 2005. Um, you know, he's been in the game a long time and when you box when you're a young kid and you're fighting grown men, you know, you have to develop that that destructive streak in you. We know Golovkin has it because he's taking people out for fun. Um, 
I if if I was Billy Joe, I'd I'd honestly be phoning Andy Lee and saying, "Can we just do something again? Just to you know, neither of us has done anything recently. Let's just do it again. Let's tick over. Yeah, you know, let's sharpen our tools together." Why? Well, we got a theory as to why he's spent so long on the bench. Is it because he was going to fight the undercard of the Fury fights? Is it? It's, it's hard to find options when we know who you should be fighting. Right. You see, you can't sell us a story about someone from Eastern Europe who's not Golovkin, essentially. You know, and they keep trying to sell us these stories. You know, Pete Quillen's now active again. I'm not hearing Billy Joe calling him out. Um, you know. I just, it doesn't seem that he's being very proactive. And I wouldn't be surprised if Eddie Hearn, Eddie Hearn is sending emissaries to Billy Joe Saunders going, look, you see what we're doing with people on Sky. It's up to you. If you really want to be a star, you'll make that move. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if Billy's also frustrating the situation so that Warren sacks him off as well. How old is he? 28. Yeah. So could it could it be just waiting for Canelo or GGG to potentially get rubbish or something? No, like, no Golovkin I mean, wants the belt. He's not going anywhere till he gets that belt. Yeah, and Canelo gets you know he continually looks better and better per fight. Um, I mean, you've got the problem with Billy Joe Saunders. He apparently turned down Gabe Rosado and Willie Monroe for the undercard of the Canelo Smith fight. If you're turning down those names, they're not exactly like the most threatening middleweights in the world. They're not world beaters. So if you're so adamant that you're worth X amount of money, the, I mean, the terms of those fights weren't right for him, apparently, as a world champion. If you're if you're determined that your worth is X amount, then you're going to struggle for fights unless those fights are against the people that generate X amount. So in the meantime, you're stuck having to defend this title in a fight that sharpens your tools on the undercard of a British title fight. It's absolute utter madness, and he's going to waste. Okay, um, again, um, David McGinley question. He asks, uh, we have touched on this on previous pods as well, but um, AJ, who will he fight in November? We kind of touched on the whole Klitschko thing, probably not going to happen. Um but he suggests Pulev would be a good test. Do we have any idea who it's going to be, or is it? Because surely we can't be dished up yet another bum to get knocked out. Yes, we can. Um, this is the whole point. Remember, we said this last week. It's the Joshua paradox. If you don't think you can beat Joshua, you want to cut of what he's generating. You want your two and a half, three million quid because you know what he's getting. His his earnings are no secret in the world of boxing. So everyone's saying, look. Eddie, you've got this gravy train that you're milking. We want to be part of that because we are part of that. And Eddie Hearn's like, I want to, I want to get the best opponent for the least money. You know, that's why Stavern said no, because Stavern knows what he's worth and he's not being set up to take a pasting. Um, I'm sure Pulev is saying the same thing. You know, he's managed by the Sourlands. The Sourlands know what this is worth. So when Eddie Hearn comes out, this is what I want Eddie Hearn to do. I want him to come out and go, I need someone to fight Joshua. I'm offering two million quid. Yeah? Do that and then tell us you can't get anyone to fight. But if you're trying to offer people 250k to fight Joshua, that's slightly disrespectful. I think, um, going back to the question and who will it be, I'm going to take a punt on Pulev along with David. Um, now, I know Herner said that he priced himself out of it, I think. So, there was meant to be an announcement, <coughs> what, uh, a week ago? And it hasn't happened from Hearn. He says that that is down to the changes that have happened with Fury and Klitschko falling out of bed. 
Um, and so therefore Klitschko's name is a possibility and then there's Parker so every time he does his IFL interviews he gives it that quizzical face where he's oh you know look we did have some what he's trying to imply is that we did have somebody lined up and instead with all the changing pieces um, there's the possibility that it could be someone else it could be the likes of Parker it could be the likes of Klitschko Um, my view on that will be that it will still end up being Kubrat Pulev uh, or somebody of that ilk um, purely on the basis that then the reason they've put off this announcement of when the fight's going to be is that Hearn can still announce now Pulev for say you know he could do that on Tuesday Wednesday of this week he can announce Pulev the fact that he's had to put that announcement back a week will justify and make it look legitimate that he has tried his absolute darndest to get Vladimir Klitschko he's tried to get Joseph Parker it wasn't logistically possible so we've had to go back to plan A which is Pulev nobody wants it we appreciate that that's basically if I had to take a punt that's the rhetoric that's going to be spun out on the end of it all and then we're going to get a fight that nobody particularly wants I'm convinced Pulev won't take the fight because he knows Joshua's running out of dance partners so he will get another phone call anyway so why take it now you know he, in the meantime, you can earn just as much money fighting Chisora again if you want to, or anyone else the Saudans want to throw in front of you, like a Hellenius. He'll make the same amount of money for far less risk. And that's what people have figured out with Joshua, is actually, when Eddie Hearn calls you, you're in a stronger position than he is. So I, I'm... The other one I could easily see it being is David Price. I think that's one that wouldn't surprise me at all right now. I mean, Sky put him back out at the weekend uh they put him on their show he wasn't shown live but he was you know pre-recorded and put on there um you know he's back in the top 15 of the ibf uh he's somebody they could reasonably pick it just is smacks of an easy enough fight to make a low enough cost because price isn't going to be the most costly they can build it up as the big domestic one before it's almost like the billy joe saunders situation where the big fight is always just around the corner they can just keep putting that that carrot slightly further away from you so you can't get it I, i'm not going to be overly shocked if it comes out that it's david price okay terry i want you to take a deep breath because we have a question from senior tasty which martin has uh, said that you are going I'm to get into this. that um joe g great manager average trainer or great manager average trainer um so joe gallagher's been coaching amateur and pro since 93 um in that period how many of his fighters can you really name like he he was look you you look at his amateur record it was okay I'm an amateur coach. I'm not far off where he got to. So I've done that in a few years. You know, it took him a while. Fair enough. You know, you look at him as a pro. Actually, you know, let's go back. So Joe Gallagher came up under a guy called Phil Martin. Phil Martin was the main coach in the Manchester scene um, from running the Moss Side Boxing Club from 81 to unfortunately he passed away in 94. So Joe Gallagher came up under him. Uh, Billy Graham, who went on to train in Ricky Hatton, came up under him as well. Um, maybe Oliver Harrison did as well. Don't quote me on that. But he was he was the central figure there. And his whole ethos was, if my fighter is the fittest man on the day, eventually I'll stop my opponent. So he had a fighter, I think it was Frank Grant, who fought Harold Graham. And at the time, Harold Graham was the man that no one wanted to fight and no one wanted to spar. And Frank 
literally just by being fitter than Harold Graham, wore him down. Was he technically sound? No. Did he have much technique? No. So this is the environment Joe Gallagher grew up in. As a young amateur, you know, 16, 17, 18, watching these guys get super fit and super strong. So it was all, you know, a gym-based culture with some brutal sparring sessions. Um, so we see that in Joe Gallagher's fighters. And I think the only evolution of his style has been the high-up guard to basically eliminate all options. But what, what's happened is anyone with a bit of skill and movement is essentially just dancing around these Gallagher fighters and just, you know, basically beating them. So he's an average trainer who's been able to create a decent environment. And, you know, he relies on fitness, which is the bedrock of boxing. And other trainers need to ask themselves why their fighters aren't as fit as Gallagher fighters. But he's done nothing to revolutionize British boxing. This isn't a guy like Brendan Ingle, who whose record stands up against anyone anywhere on this planet. He's not even like a Tony Sims, man. Tony Sims has guys like Kevin Mitchell in his CV, who he's guided to the top as amateurs and as pros. So he's not as good as him. I don't even think he's as good as Oliver Harrison, his bitter rival. I think Oliver Harrison creates more intelligent boxers. Maybe he doesn't get the best raw materials to work with. But of what he does do, you know, he's done incredibly well. He was okay with Amir Khan. I don't think Khan's been as good since he stepped away from Oliver Harrison. So you start to look at him versus his peers and you're a bit like, well, what has he really done? So, you know, Joe Gallagher, he'll get found out. And as you get more and more trainers like Dave Caldwell is another example who's coming through. You know, I think it's Nick Manners working with Josh Warrington. All of these guys, you know, the Sanagars, they're all of these guys who produce better boxers stylistically than Joe Gallagher. So for me, Joe Gallagher's vastly overrated. You know, if if his fighters won Warren cards, Eddie Hearn would be to be calling them northern plodders. That's exactly what Eddie would be calling them. <laughs> you know, let's be honest, he'd be decrying their style, he'd be laughing at them, going, Who wants to pay to watch that? Because it's boring. So Respect what he's achieved because he's come from nowhere and he's one trainer of the year, fine. But when you actually dig beneath the surface, you know, he's been lucky with matchmaking. And then when all of his fighters got to the top, they got exposed. Uh, one for you potentially, Martin. Uh, Sam Khan's going to be the last question today. Uh, what does the bad run for matchroom boxers having lost two belts and potentially a major payday lost with uh, RE Fury? What does that mean? Uh, Eddie's Matchroom versus the three model. I'm not familiar with that myself. Um, um, Brooke back in the spotlight. No way. I mean, it's uh, Eddie's Matchroom version three model. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's something Terry's referred to about the version three, where we are in terms of Matchroom as a stable. What does it mean for him? It means that um, you know, he's Eddie won't change. Eddie will continue to focus his efforts on bringing. Uh, I think you'll start to see more of the efforts to bring elite fighters to the UK, to the likes of Golovkin. I think he's accepting that when his fighters go up to that elite level, there is that risk of losing, and they are losing. Um, so, what are we going to see? We're not going to see any huge differences. Like We're still going to... Con- I mean, just look at the world title fights we've got coming up over the next fortnight for your answer. We've got Ricky Burns versus Rylick. Uh, and we've got Tony Bellew versus BJ Flores. They're not fights anyone wants to see. 
Um, they're not fights anyone's ever asked for. Who the fuck has ever asked to see Tony Bellew versus BJ Floyd? What will happen is this Sky contract has given him more money, so he's saying that he will get more world title fights onto Saturday night fight night shows. So, yeah, fair play, because the Saturday night fight night has evolved from what used to be kind of leisure centre shows to now being Liverpool Echo Arena for world title. Fair play, like that's on the free-to-air Sky platforms. It's not free-to-air, I appreciate, but it's on the Sky platform, world title fights. We had Crawler Linares. <coughs> Crawler Linares on there recently. So he's going to start building more of these, and Crawler Linares shouldn't have been there. It should have been pay-per-view. We kind of discussed that before. But he'll start to build more and more of these world title fights to sell the vision of being able to put domestic world title fights on Sky it can kind of deflect the criticism over the pay-per-views because actually you can say, you know, the elite ones go on pay-per-view, but you're still getting all these world title fights per year under the new Sky contract. Um, but ultimately, you're just going to see relatively non-competitive or not really that exciting or interesting um, world title fights that nobody's asked for. Nobody's been calling out, as I say, for Burns versus Relic and... Um, you know, Bellew versus Flores. It's not that interesting. Um, so that's what we can expect to see, I think, from Hearn coming up. Okay, that's we're almost at the end here. Oh, do you want to dive in? We still need to discuss your call on Thursday. Okay, go ahead. Um, so and be good to get Martin's view on this. I don't want to discuss the fights fight by fight because I don't think that's really the issue here. I think the question everyone will want to know because people would have been plugged into what happened on Thursday is who would you put your money on coming through from that crop? Because you essentially had on one night you had people who had had somewhere between two and six fights. So this is basically who Eddie Hearn's betting the house on as things stand. Apart from some big name acquisitions, this is the name. So It's heavily subsidised Thursday night as well. So he is literally putting his money on those those shows or those fighters on that show. Yeah, because I don't think it was anywhere near sold out, you know, which is down to, you know, how much do you want to charge people to go and watch boxing on a Thursday night? And there were 300 plus tickets given out to amateur clubs and such like, which is a great gesture, don't get me wrong, it looks really good, but that's because you can't sell the place. Yeah. So, so I, I was quite excited, I didn't think I would be, by Jake Ball, so... I didn't realise the kid had, had over a hundred amateur bouts. So I, I, you know, you, you've seen guys floating around the scene, and you go, "Kid looks all right." But I watched the fight, and he had a touch of the calzaggy about him. In how, once he sensed weakness, the hands just went, and he had this composure that none of the other fighters had. Which was, I've been in rings before. I've probably boxed at your call many times. This stuff doesn't bother me, and he looked like someone who could go a hell of a long way so I just went to you know really impressed with him I think the difference between Ball and the others is that Ball has probably boxed better amateurs than he's boxing pros exactly Um, and so putting these not journeymen all of them but foreign opponents in with him is not causing him any problems that he's not seen in his hundreds of amateur fights and he is composed and he is a weapon He's a weapon. He, he looked into, I mean, he, cause you know what? Big shout out to JFB promotions and all the guys that they cover because they were really pushing this fight hard. And I, I, I was like, eh, Jake Ball, whatever. That's how I started off Thursday being. And then as I've seen more and more of what happened over the evening, I'm like, do you know what? Eddie could do a lot worse than back this guy to go to the top. So 
you know, you were right, Joe. You were right, JFB Promotions. You know what I mean? Like what you're doing. And they've got Craig Richards as well, who I would have said is in that sort of group where you want to put money behind these guys. Because I think they do shift tickets as well. So I was impressed with them. Equally impressed with Isaac Chamberlain in a hell of a war. And I, I know you and I discussed this before. And, you know, we were pretty confident Chamberlain had this one. But how it transpired was, you know, more than we could have expected. You know, you know, Chamberlain showed up and said, I really want this belt. Wadi Kamachi said, you know, right now this belt defines me. I'm not giving it up without a fight. And you saw two guys go to war. Um, expected a bit more from the experienced Camacho. I think he made a lot of the mistakes he keeps making, which are to circle left like he's Sergio Martinez, which he's not. And he hasn't got the, the nous to let shots go off when he's in the strike zone. So I think he got punished for that. But, you know, credit to Isaac Chamberlain for fighting with a dislocated shoulder for a number of rounds, you know. I guess, no, overall, a show that highlighted some of the future elements. But coming out of that, I think Isaac, Jake Ball, and Craig Richards are the guys you'd look at and go, I expect to see you main headlining something at some point. And can I say this once again? Fuck off, Matchroom, in that you haven't shown this at all. Like not even on your Fight Pass, which was originally built as a streaming platform for people to pay £30 a year. You still haven't shown that. You're going to show it on demand on Sky during the week. That's so poor. Do you um, hate Eddie Hearn? Do I hate Eddie Hearn? Uh, no. no. But you pity the fool. No, I don't hate Eddie Hearn. I think he does a brilliant He brings money into the sport. I'm critical of Eddie Hearn. That's the difference. Um... Does at Kenyon underscore Ant hate you? At Kenyon underscore Ant is uh, possibly the weirdest motherfucker on Twitter uh, who follows me and tweets me about once a week telling me what a wanker I am. Which, don't get me wrong, I'm not... Sounds like he's got his head screwed on. Yeah, I am not disagreeing with this bloke at all. Like, fair play to him. At least he's astute. He's worked it out fairly quickly. Far more than many of my other followers. But, do you know what I mean, man? Like, don't bother following me. I ain't really that arsed, if I'm honest. Like, but if you're once a week is to tell me that I'm a very jealous man of Matrim, yeah, I'm a jealous man of Matrim, motherfucker. Of course I am. Like, if I had the the materials at my disposal that Matchroom have, if I had the likes of Isaac Chamberlain, Jake Ball, etc. at my disposal, I would make sure they got some fucking time in the spotlight and weren't left in York Hall in front of 800 people, 300 of which have been given tickets for free so aren't really that arsed about being there whatsoever. Yeah, I would be making better use of them than what Matchroom are. So, yeah, am I jealous of them? Yeah, of course I am. Every fucking boxing fan should be because they're at the top of the mountain. So, yeah, okay, mate. Like, anyway, <laughs> that's my rant over. But unfollow me. I don't give a fuck, son. <laughs> Martin Rantick. Um, do you have anything to add uh, before we sort of start to wrap things up? No, I just, I think just one, one of the things, no, I just, just actually just being nice and just shouting out to a lot of the guys out there, the, the unsung, no, let's not say heroes, but the unsung foot soldiers of the sport of boxing guys like Shaz Chowdhury you know these guys who who trawl through show after show looking for the next big thing and highlight them giving them that free publicity you know so big shout out to Shaz Chowdhury as well you know JFB promotions you know can see what they're trying to do hopefully it works out for them you know those sorts of guys who are all doing things you know you know, we, these guys don't get enough of a credit 
you know, even even all the the amateur coaches out there, the rumbles, as I like to say, who trawl the country. You know, if you're on Twitter, man, follow some of these guys, the Billy Rumbles, because you get some really good insights into the sport of boxing. If you follow the right people, you'll realize that this is a damn hard sport, a sport that most people give their time to, knowing that they'll never make a living off of it. So. Now, get involved, man. If you really are a boxing fan, and this is one of the things that frustrates me, I guess, is that, you know, you can talk all this crap about you watch fights on YouTube. Well done, man. Take a, take notes on a notebook, whatever. But if you're not there in the trenches watching what really happens, you don't get the full 3D experience. So that's all of those guys who are out there, you know, slogging it out for a living. You know, the unsung heroes, the Haglund family at Islington, you know, Nah, all these guys, Karen Horsforth at Putney being the first female head coach that I've met in a boxing club. All of these things are important. You know, the ladies out there, we're talking about female boxing. The ladies like Kelly Morgan, Lynn Harvey over in Ireland, you know, all these guys just, everyone's just putting work in. And so I always like to say just congratulations to those guys, you know, for staying true to the sport because I know I fall out of love with it a hell of a lot. So, you know, let's all keep enjoying the sport. You know, make sure you follow at New Age Boxing at New Age Podfather at the Seven Wolves because that's how this thing works if we all stick together and all boost each other so JFB we expect you to be promoting our podcast because I mean we're putting your name out there too so you know fair's fair yeah there's there's a few of Shaz who uh, you know Terry's just met Shaz is a lovely bloke as well I met him a few times down at York Hall don't wear that round 8 t-shirt again and not give me one man that was cheeky <laughs> um, so yeah Shaz there's James Lupton uh, doing his stuff with, with round 8 and whatever uh, Sam O'Reilly uh, is a top top man there's JP Smith who runs a boxing Luton account there's a few people out there that are just like nice people looking to get exposure for young fighters up and coming. They're not making any money out of this. We're not making any money out of this. We do it for the passion. We do it to give these people some kind of exposure, just to give these people a bit of a helping hand up the ladder. Uh, and that's what all these people are out there doing. So like, go out there and follow them and just, you know, give everybody a bit of a helping hand. Let's have some love. And stop hating on people for no fucking reason. That's my job. No, but you know, no, but but there's a difference. Like, like you know, you know, you know when like Eddie Hearn will say something, someone go, Eddie Hearn, you're a cunt. I hope you die of AIDS. And you're a bit like, you spent I don't know how many seconds of your life writing that, but you're sat in your bedroom and you've probably still got stains on your bed sheets because you've been getting happy on Pornhub, <laughs> and you have the temerity to criticize other people out there living life. Let's not have any of that. And also, stop lying on your accounts, man. Like, if you don't have inside sources, just say you're a kid in the bedroom trawling Twitter. <laughs> just stop lying, man. Boxing Kingdom. Yeah, Boxing Kingdom 14. Stop lying to the fans. Stop lying to the people because we don't know you and we don't know your sources because the stories you're coming up with are nonsense. And last one, big shout out. Uh, one guy, Paul Hindley, at Paul Hindley 82 Man, like, that geezer just makes me laugh on Twitter a lot. Uh, I think he interacts with you guys sometimes, but I think my uh, guy's still Spidey Jones just for that tweet. Yeah, yeah. After uh, after the, I think it was the Frank Warren announcement of the opponent, and all it was was it was like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was top. Encapsulated uh, everything I felt at that moment. Yeah, but like Mr. Senor Tasty, we mentioned earlier, Mick. Like, there's, there's a lot of love out there, man. So everybody, just get behind everybody else. It's all good. Well, that's originally why we sort of started. I mean, you've got obviously the website as well, and it's all started because fan boxing was inaccessible. So hopefully, we make it a bit more accessible and a bit more interesting and, and fun. And 
Speaking of fun, uh, it seems that we've run out of time. Yeah, we've run no, out of time. No, we bro. haven't actually. We can cite. Well, you know, it's like the Sopranos, it's all going to go black in a second. We have, we have a duty to the fans, and they've sent in an argue the inarguable. So you've got to do it. I know how much you guys love this. Um, so I've got one argue the inarguable that's been sent in from Simon King. Shout out to Simon King. No, by the way. no, no, no. Shout out, man. Why was your left hand so high in that picture, man? What kind of card <laughs> is that? This is not eighteen eighty-five, man. Sort that out. Simon King, who had his white collar about raising money for cancer last night, drew it. He's a nice man, yeah. Simon. So catching all the left hooks on that chin, man. Right hand was too low. <laughs> Get so down. down. That so is, yeah. Simon, you haven't specified who you want to do this one, so uh, I'll uh, I'll chuck it to Terry because he loves them. David Price's opponent will no doubt prepare him for a Parker or AJ fight. That was a guy from the Vindaloo video, man. Like (laughs) he he made a great comeback to fight David Price. Um, Sadly, man, I mean his technique wasn't as hot as Vindaloo, man. The guy was absolutely shocking. But I did like the fact that he did prepare Price because I'm sure the next guy Price will fight will be Eric Butterbean Esh. So you've got to get used to, you know what I mean, banging the drum. And like, I don't know what Price does to prepare for his next fight. Maybe join Genesis, man. I mean, a bit of drumming <laughs> sessions. You know, get those drum patterns right. Give him a good fight tempo. I don't know what you do, but abject performance. You know what I mean, by his opponent. You know, I mean. Sponsored by Pillsbury, though, so I guess he got his money in the end. Well, that's eight seconds you've given them for free. Nice one, Terry. Um, okay, fantastic stuff. Martin. You're not paying me for overtime. 30 <laughs> seconds an hour. <laughs> okay. Um, all this stuff that's happened with Fury over the last year is actually a carefully constructed PR campaign, the result of which, when we finally see it, is going to be pure genius. It is. Um, I mean, one thing that the government have over time uh, got money from is drugs trading. And so if you wanted anyone to be the front man of the drugs trade, you know, if you were looking around the world, who would you want? Who is synonymous now with cocaine, thankful to the stories and his own tweet, the world heavyweight boxing champion, making cocaine healthy for all the kids out there? Around the world. Yeah, it's probably, probably best we do stop there as well. We don't get any f- free slander. Or free cocaine. I just said yeah. free. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Right, well, I guess that wraps us up for now. You've got... Well, that's a, that's a lot of time. I guess by the time I've edited this down, it's going to be best part of 90 minutes. Um, Listen so, to all of it. No cutting corners. There will be questions. <laughs> Thank you very much to all our listeners' questions. Just keep sending them in and spread the word and just get argue the arguers in. If you've got any suggestions that you want to add to the podcast, any any specific things you want us to feature in it, just send it in. Why not? Can we just flip it? Look, I'm not going to lie to you guys. You mean you're boxing fans? You're smart enough, right? Next Saturday is going to be absolutely shit for boxing. So we'd rather do a listeners' question special. You have a week to come up with questions. I'd rather Send not talk about the fight. We've got Lewis and White. We've got Lewis and White. Here we go for a quick one before we turn this down. Lewis and White. Lewis and by far. Everyone, everyone who knows both of them has got money on Lewis and at seven to one. Sorry. Okay. You know, and that's why Dillian didn't blocked Didn't that change? Me. That changed, didn't it? That, that, the, um, the odds. You can still get about seven, eight to one. Oh, okay. Yeah. No. So that's why Dillian blocked me because I said everyone in Miguel's has basically voted for Ian Lewis and which they have. Because, you know I mean, you're talking to guys who have sparred both, and they're like, come on, man, we all know who's going to win this. Yeah, but we're not talking about Burns Kellick, because he's shit. Yeah, so send your questions, man. We want at least 30 questions, man, and we're going to just hammer through them. They can be about anything boxing-related, absolutely anything. Don't try and be smart, just the most obvious ones. 
could be anything, quite frankly. Uh, just pull the cord of these two and they yeah. go off and digression central anyway. Because so. unless Tyson Fury comes out with a fucking IV drip in his arm or with an e-tablet on his tongue... Then and a boyfriend. Be, then it could be a quiet week. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> it could be a quiet week. <laughs> Okay, well, there's nothing much more left to say other than thank you very much for listening, and I guess we'll see you next week. Thank you very much.